What the fuck is up, world? Biali, Tlaltik, Bak. We back in this bitch. Another podcast for that ass. Another grito. Sea dicho. Coming about a week's time since my last podcast. We'll call that continued progress. And um, yeah, before I even get started, I want to give a quick shout out. A heartfelt shout out to all you motherfuckers on YouTube. Okay? YouTube is, <laughs> you motherfuckers are the shit. I just want you to know, you YouTube motherfuckers are the shit, all right? Obviously, I spend most of my time on Instagram, OG underscore Ice Nice 13, if you haven't already followed, right? But uh, I need to start paying a little bit more attention to y'all motherfuckers on YouTube because your words of, you know, just your comments that you left on the previous episode, they made my week, man. So I really do fucking appreciate that shit, right? Um, I'm glad you all enjoyed the podcast and I hope I look forward to, you know, dropping something similar along the same vein for y'all to keep enjoying, you know what I'm saying? And the same is true for y'all motherfuckers on Instagram that reached out and said the same. I really do appreciate it, right? The conversations with the AI is something that I plan on doing, you know, I had already planned on doing more so in the future. That's why I named it Divine Dialogues as opposed to just Divine Dialogue, right? So um, hopefully that's something that y'all would be interested in moving forward. I know I definitely am, uh, specifically with just more of the practical implications of what AI will have in store for us as humanity, right? And uh, it's actually, this episode is a little bit in line with the previous episode, because when I was dropping the previous episode, it's something that I've talked about like multiple times for those of you all who have, you know, been listening to this podcast long enough. Some of the topics they're gonna be like, oh yeah, I've heard that shit before, right? Um, but I've never really delved too deeply into it as to why, like the philosophical foundations as to why, and more specifically, my own personal uh, acquaintance with this personal idea, with this particular rather idea and how it still to this day affects my view of just, I guess, reality, realistically. Uh, it's a little bit more, you know, a little more tempered, I guess you could say, because it's been, you know, filtered through a more not what lens from when I first learned it. Right. But it's still there. Right. And I'll, when, when we get to that part of the podcast, I'll be sure to point it out. So you'll be like, what the fuck is this we talking about? Right. I'll just tell you now, <laughs> like, well, just, you know, I'll tell you now quickly and then I'll, you know, expand in detail when I get to that part of the episode. And it's the idea of how history works or how, you know, how time progression works. The notion that we have in the modern world is that we are pushed again to reiterate what I mentioned in the previous episode, that the past pushes the present into the future. But I'm not so sure that's necessarily the case. And it may very well be that we are being pulled into the future by some sort of force and entity that we are not even aware of, right? Kind of like moths that are attracted to a fluorescent light, if you will. And that's where the whole notion of the AI comes into play. Now, that particular idea was influenced by a dude that I'm going to talk about today by the name of Terrence McKenna. And he's the one that really like, he's the one that introduced me to that idea. But uh, the reason why I say it's filtered now through a not what lens is because I don't believe in, it's a teleology. It's a teleology nonetheless, which is something I'm, that's the part that if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard that shit before, right? But I've never really delved too deeply into it. So I'm going to get a little bit deeper into that today, but I'm focusing particularly on the McKenna shit, okay? But uh, the reason why it's tempered now is because obviously the Nahuatl, they don't believe in teleologies. It's just a constant folding and unfolding of theon. You know what I'm saying? So there is no necessarily agentive force to that um, to that process, according to the Nahuatl. And it's funny because I, I went back and I listened to this fucking podcast, doc, that I, you know, I'm going to give you the backstory of how that podcast and how it came to be, right? Here shortly. But I went back and listened to it recently in anticipation for this particular episode 
And it just made me laugh thinking like, well, of course I was attracted to this shit. Of course I was drawn to this shit. It's basically not what philosophy, but w- through through a westernized lens, right? There's that famous saying, and you know, my grandma always told me this shit. My abuelita always told me this shit. La sangre sabe. And she was talking about like, well, in this particular case, the first time I heard it, she was talking about kids who know who their parents are, even though their parents aren't around. You know what I mean? But it's also, she was also alluding to shit like ancestral knowledge. Like we're not connected to, you know, we don't have as much ancestral knowledge as perhaps people who are connected to their people still. Pero la sangre sabe. Okay. The blood knows like memories, fears, traumas, all that kind of shit. It's pa- joys, happiness, triumphs. It's all passed along in the blood. So when they say, what my abuelita would say, la sangre sabe, the blood knows, that's what she's referring to. You know what I mean? So in retrospect, as I was going back listening to this, I just couldn't help but laugh. I was like, damn, of course I was attracted to this shit. It literally resonated deeply within my fucking genetic coding. I was like, yeah, motherfucker, this is the shit right here. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, dog. So it's actually, this, this fucking podcast in particular came to me at a very interesting time in my life, yo. I was about 23 years old when I first discovered Terrence McKenna. And it's notable for me particularly for one of two reasons. The first of which being is that it just happened to coincide in the midst of a massive existential crisis, bro. I was your boy, surprise, surprise, was going through it even at fucking 23 years old. You know what I'm saying? More so at 23 than now. Like, goddamn, dog. I was lost in the sauce back then, okay? Uh, I think about this shit all the time, you know, how, how I don't like to pat myself on the back. I'm not trying to gloat. I'm not trying to be, you know, vainglorious and shit. But what I would suggest is that you should probably do the same to yourself, too. We like to, you know, be very hypercritical on ourselves. I say we like very, you know, introspective, deep thinkers, which if you're listening to this, I know you are, dog. I might have never met you, but you're not listening to this shit if you're just some fucking surface level person, because this ain't surface level shit. This, this goes deep as fuck. You know what I mean? So... As introspective thinkers, we tend to be very hard on ourselves, like unreasonably so. And uh, that's kind of where I was in this earlier in this earlier time in my life. And uh, it, it was basically like what was happening is I was I, I had a crisis of meaning. It wasn't even an existential crisis anymore. I was just having more so a crisis of meaning. I had no meaning in my life. Okay, this is long before I had discovered the fucking Nahuatl philosophy. This is long before I even considered like. I kind of just always took it as a granted, like, oh, yeah, we're indigenous. You know what I mean? But I never really, I never really, you know, sat with what that fucking entailed. You know what I mean? And because of that, I didn't have any of the knowledge that could have potentially saved me then uh, that I do now. So because because of that, I have it now. And I'm just like, oh, okay, so whenever I'm going through it, I'm like, oh, it's a little bit easier to deal with. But back then, dog, I was like, I was for real, for real struggling. Okay. And uh, basically what happens is, you know, I'm in my early 20s having this crisis of meaning because at this time my life was basically, even then it was a culmination of just really bad choices, dog. I made a lot of really bad choices. Okay. And on top of that, on top of the, like the really bad choices that I made, uh, I was still dealing with unresolved trauma. I didn't even, it really, literally that kind of shit never even registered into my mind. Like you're traumatized dog. Okay. That kind of shit never even registered into my mind until I was already in my thirties, homie. Right. But uh, in retrospect, looking back, it's yeah, y'all, you were fucking, you were, you were basically just surviving <laughs> at that point, you know? I wasn't living. I was just coping, essentially, with all this unresolved trauma. I was, uh, there's this really great Tool song. The, the, the song is called Push It, right? And a part of the song, from the first time I heard it at like 16, 15, 16 years old, was, uh, and I trade it all for just a little peace of mind, right? Like that part. 
That shit resonated, dog. And uh, there's another song by, you know, Maynard James Keenan, the singer from Tool, uh, by his other band, The Perfect Circle, that also really resonated with me. At a time, I actually wanted to get this shit tattooed on me, dog. This was in high school, right? And it's uh, from the song Orestes. And it said, just one more medicated, peaceful moment. Because that was my life, dog. Basically, since fucking high school, to like my 30s, bro, straight up. Like my like literally at 30. You know what I'm saying? Nah, it's been a little hyperbolic. Maybe around, nah, 30. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Why bullshit, right? Um, It was just me trying to fucking, just trying to deal with the symptoms of, of all this unresolved trauma through, you know, drugs and alcohol, right? And in my earlier days, through women as well. You know what I'm saying? And uh, this starts to culminate in my 20s, my early 20s, by way of just, I was just tired of it, dog. Like, I was just tired of always, always feeling like something was wrong. Like, I don't feel right. I don't feel normal. I don't feel, like, peaceful. I don't feel anything, bro. I don't feel at ease. I'm consciously anxious. I'm conscious. I'm consciously. <laughs> I'm constantly anxious. I'm constantly depressed. I have no meaning. I have no purpose. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life. You know what I mean? And that's where the fucking existential crisis starts to creep into play. You know what I'm saying? Because even when, I, 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 like I said, I would medicate myself with drugs and alcohol. But at this point, even the drugs and the alcohol weren't working anymore, homie. I would still, even when I was like drunk or stoned, I was like fucking in pain, like emotional pain. You know what I'm saying? And um, it got to the point, dog, where honestly, I started to consider what was the meaning, like what was the point of it all, you know? And uh, this is why I like to say shit like it's very unfortunate that we don't have access to our ancestral knowledge earlier in life because I know I'm not alone in this. You know what I mean? And uh, the only answers that I had at this particular time were given to me by the reductive Western materialist lens, which basically, you know, collapses, as I've mentioned plenty of times before, into that pit of nihilistic despair that tells us. That there is no meaning. There is no purpose. We are fucking randomly thrown into this fucking meaningless universe. We are these tiny specks of dust floating around in a fucking barely noticeable planet on a fucking tiny little, you know, in a tiny little galaxy just drifting through aimless fucking empty space. And that anything that we do will ultimately be of no purpose because, you know, the sun's going to explode and all that kind of bullshit, right? You're going to die and you'll be forgotten inevitably. So why bother? Like, that's the only answer that I had at the time, right? And uh, obviously now, at, you know, 36 years old, I know that that's a fucking psyop. It's not true. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I'm not denying science completely. I'm just saying I'm not convinced. I, I, I know for a fact, right? This is the ancestral knowledge saving me. Not that we are here for a purpose. Every single person per- plays a, par- uh, a part. You know what I mean? And uh, the, the, a part of the meaning in life that I've come to find has been not only discovering that meaning, but acting upon it as well. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, when I say I'm not as going through it as much anymore, it's because unlike at 23, when I had no meaning, I had no purpose, I had no direction, I had nothing, I have a little bit of it now, you know what I mean? And thankfully, because of the struggle that I went through through my early 20s to try to find it, you know what I'm saying? But uh, going back to that time in my life, it was just bad, dog. Like, I really did. I would get to the points. I would get, to, I got to the point. It literally got to the point. It was so bad. It was so bad, okay? That I remember one night, just it was like three o'clock in the morning, man. And I had just come home. I for sure was probably drunk, right? And I had just come home and I remember just thinking to myself, like, I should just do it already. Like, what the fuck am I waiting for? Like, this is not gonna get better. I don't see a potential future where this is gonna end. And I am just tired of suffering through this because it's fucking painful. Not in the physical sense, but in the emotional sense. 
it's exhausting every day having to get up and prepare yourself mentally to, you know, put on a front and prepare and pretend rather that everything is okay when deep down inside you're just fucking waiting to collapse at any particular moment. You know what I mean? And it takes a lot of strength to be able to get through that kind of shit, which is why I say like, we have to be, and this is the power I was saying, like pat yourself on the back too, because if you're a hypercritical person, which again, I know you are, if you're listening to this, we're very hard on ourselves like that. You know what I mean? And, um, we think to ourselves like, fuck, I'm not good enough to fucking be able to get through this. I'm not good enough to be able to get past this. And it's not true. You are, we are, you know what I mean? It's not easy, but it's fucking possible. And that's, you know, something that I've tried to, to, you know, scatter around through various points as I've been, you know, doing this fucking particular podcast, right? The strength, the inner strength that we have within us. And this is where it comes from that point of me coming to the realization. I remember again, going back to the story, I had my hands like this because I was literally praying doc at the time. Again, this is before the decolonization. This is before any of that shit, dog. So the only knowledge that I had of with, of how reality operated was the fucking Western dichotomy of Christianity and atheism. You know what I mean? And I never considered myself an atheist. I always have felt, you know, within me uh, something greater than just humans. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say God. Even then, I wouldn't have said God. You know what I mean? Not, now, for sure, I won't say God. It would, I would say Theo, you know, the energizing, vivifying force that animates every single, everything in creation, right? The ancestral Nahua shit. But uh, at that time, I had none of that knowledge. I had none of this knowledge. You know what I mean? So I remember laying in my bed vividly, still to this day, and like just begging, just praying, literally praying, please, I don't want to do this. I don't want to fucking unalive myself if you haven't put the pieces together, Right? I, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. But I can't. I just cannot continue to live like this anymore. I am fucking miserable. Despite the external facade, I am fucking literally dying on the inside. And it's just so much easier for me because I because I, at the time, again, I didn't I didn't see, you know, a potential way out of that. And the only way that I thought at the time was just ending it. And because, again, I didn't see any way to potentially end the emotional torment that I was going through because of you know, just all the un, un, unresolved trauma that A, I endured, you know, because of just what the circumstances I was born into, but B, and not fucking unimportantly because of the fucking bad choices that I had made in life that led me to that point. A lot of which, by the way, were fucking fueled by drugs and alcohol. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, dog, I remember just being vividly like there, just praying like, fuck, man, I don't want to do this. Please, like, if you please just let give me the strength. Uh, just please give me the strength to get through this night. I just need to get through this night because it was really bad, right? That particular night was really bad. And I remember at that time, a very strange calm just fell over me. A calm that I hadn't felt in a long time, bro. A very, very long time. It had fallen over me like just everything's going to be okay, right? I don't know if it was, you know, some sort of divine interference. I don't know if it was just me finally expressing and admitting to myself that I am not okay. That gave me the calm to be like, yeah, like this is, you're on the right step. You're on the right track now. That's a good step in the right direction, right? I, you know, the relieving the pressure for myself that I felt to uphold this machismo fucking image, right? And finally admitting that, nah, fuck that. I'm fucking suffering right now. You know what I mean? That maybe that gave me the 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 the, the pressure release, the sense of calm that you know that befell me at that moment. I don't know what happened, Doc. But whatever the case, I, I remember I was saying, I even, like, I even said like, fuck man, please just give me the strength to get through this night and I promise I'll start going to church. I'll, st- I'll devote my life to God. I'll do whatever it takes, just anything, you know what I mean? To just get me through this night because of how bad it was. I remember like, I'm getting really deep with you here, dog. 
I have, I have, you know, I've always had guns, dog. And uh, I remember just thinking to myself, like, you have, you have a shotgun right there. Like, it's that easy, bro. You know what I mean? Like, all you got to do is go grab it and boom, that's it. It's over. All the pain, all the suffering, it's gone. Right. But I didn't want to. I didn't, I truly did not want to. Like, deep down within myself, I said, no, I don't want to do that. Like, there has to be a solution. I enjoy living. I'm just going through a very difficult time right now because, again, I have no meaning. I have no purpose. I, ha- I have nothing. Right. I'm lost. Every, everything that I've been told is going to make me happy in this Western world. I had it all. I even at, even even though I hadn't graduated college yet, I was already making pretty good money, right? I had a I had a place to live. I had everything. Dog, I had loving family. I had everything. I had friends. I had every my my loving girlfriend already. You know what I mean? Like everything, dog. You know what I mean? And because of that, I you know, I still within myself was like, I can't. You know, I don't want to do this. I want to live for them. I love life. You know what I mean? But again, I'm just having this really difficult time right now. And again, so I started praying and the fucking peace falls over me, dog. And I was like, fuck, finally. You know what I mean? A peace that the drugs and the alcohol never gave me. And I remember just falling asleep happy. Like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. I'm so, like, literally tears on my face, dog. Literally fucking crying tears. Thinking to myself, like, thank you. Thank you, God. Fucking thank you so much for giving me this fucking, this moment of peace. No longer a medicated, peaceful moment, right? No longer in the need to feel like I need to trade it all for just a little peace of mind. Honest, genuine peace, dog. And by the way, I to I did fucking live up to my end of the dar- the bargain. I remember I even uh, told my uh, my girlfriend, I brought my girlfriend with me and my grandma. I, I brought my grandma with me. I was like, Abuelita, I need you to come to church with me. And I knew she knew something was wrong because I've, n- I've never wanted to go to church. Even when I was a fucking kid, I hated church, right? I had never wanted to go to church. So I know my grandma knew something was wrong when I asked her to come with me. And uh, I did, I did, because I had fully intended to live through with my promise. Please give me this fuck, just get me through this night. I Please, I'm begging you, please just get me through this night. And I will devote my life, my life to God, right? And I intended to go through with it because of how fucking powerful the moment was, right? And uh, when I went to church, dog, it just, it didn't hit. Like, I felt, it, it wasn't right. It was like, nope, this isn't it. This is not it. Whatever it is, la sangre sabe, homie, la sangre sabe, right? The blood knows. Whatever it is that gave me the peace of mind that night was the same feeling that I had in that church telling me, this is not it. You are not doing the right thing. Like your heart is in the right place, but this is not it. You don't, you don't need this church. You don't need Christianity. You need something completely different, right? You don't need Jesus, motherfucker. You need something different, okay? And I wouldn't find that something different for another like three years, Okay. But in those three years' time, that's the decolonization, 26-ish, is when the decolonization started, right? But in that time, okay, I started to lay the foundation, right? And one of the ways that I laid the foundation is, so part of like finding, it wasn't just like, okay, here's the meaning and purpose. No, I, you know, I wasn't just given the meaning and purpose. I had to find the meaning and the purpose within myself by act, like, genuinely sitting down and asking myself, what is it that you want in life? And I knew for sure at that time, for sure, the only thing I knew is I wanted to go to UT Austin. So that's what I devoted my life to. I said, fuck it. At this point in time, you're over here bitching and moaning about the lack of meaning and purpose. Devote your life to getting accepted and graduating from UT Austin. I was a student at the very community college that I teach at now, right? At the time. And uh, so, yeah, I fucking... Completely switched it up, dog. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. We're getting into UT Austin. I'm going to graduate from UT Austin. So um, part of that for me entailed, I started taking, uh, they called honors courses, right? At the community college that I work at. 
And it's basically the class that you're taking, you take it, you know, for honors, which means that you meet with the professor individually and they, you know, provide you with a, an added level of work on top of your regular coursework to show that you went above and beyond what it is that's required of you for just a regular degree, right? Which looks good on your transcripts, which is what you would need to want to transfer out to a, you know, institution such as UT Austin, because it's got a very, you know, very, very high criteria of who they admit, right? And a very low acceptance rate. So, uh, yeah, I took, I took honors courses, Doc. And uh, one of the honors courses that I took was a biology class. I took a biology class, right? It was mandatory curriculum. So uh, I took it for honors. And uh, part of the assignment that I was given by my professor was to journal, essentially, the way that biology ha uh, is applied in practical, like in real, in real life. This assignment, by the way, changed it still to this day, not just the way that it's affected me in the sense that, you know, I'm going to describe here shortly, but this is something that I do in my class. Like, fuck yeah, dude. Like, we're not just here to learn philosophy, just this, this fucking stat, this uh, static subject that you just pick up from a textbook. Like, no, it's just dynamic. I need you to learn how to apply the philosophy in everyday life. And, you know, that was influenced by this AP, or uh, rather, this uh, honors credit biology course that I took where the professor told me, I need you to, you know... Take this biology that we're learning and apply it in everyday life. Tell me how you see biology in everyday life, basically, right? And part of it was a journal, like a journaling concept, because at the end of the semester, I had to lecture, basically, for 30 minutes in the class uh, on biology, how it applies in everyday life, right? And uh, that was a great, it was a great assignment. I fucking love that assignment. I'm sure it's actually like a little block spot out there that still <laughs> has that assignment in it. You know what I mean? But... Uh, when I was doing this assignment, I would meet with him on a weekly basis and, you know, just to go through with it. And he would help fill in any potential holes that he found that I needed in order to, you know, ground the, the claims that I was making, basically. And I remember one day, part of this existential crisis was, uh, and you know, tying it back to the existential crisis in Terrence McKenna, uh, was just me struggling with how minuscule we are, you know, how minuscule we're told that we are, at least, right? And... One thing that never really sat right with me, it was thinking about how even though we are small compared to, you know, Jupiter, maybe we're still big in comparison to other things like ants. Right. And from there, I just started to extrapolate a little bit further and I would always trip on myself and I would look and I would think to myself, how is it that the macro is represented in the micro and vice versa? Right. So now I would know I would say something like in the occultist way as above, so below. Right. But uh, motherfuckers will probably take a screenshot of this clip right here and be like, you see, Illuminati confirmed he's doing the fucking Luciferian hand sign. You're a fucking idiot. You're lost in the sauce. OK. Um, anyways, that's an aside. The point was that I, one of the things that I said that, you know, at the time, again, I didn't have the language to articulate as above, so below. But uh, I would trip out on how the universe took the exact same shape of a molecule. I would think because so, this is biology. Right. And I would think to myself, like, damn, dog, you see, you have the, the atom and then you have the fucking the protons and the electrons and the neutrons and shit circling around the atom. That shit is crazy to me how it looks exactly like planets orbiting the sun. And, you know, that's where the existential crisis comes into play, because you, you think about it, how huge just this fucking solar system is. Right. Let alone space, the galaxies and then space. And then you think about how tiny a fucking atom is and you realize, like, fuck, dude. Just scaling it for size makes you realize, like, this is this is a terrifying fucking <laughs> proposition, this reality that we're living in. You know what I mean? So that's part of where a little bit of that existential crisis would come into play. 
And I wrote about that in my journal. Like, it really trips me out that uh, uh, fucking the, uh, uh, a solar system looks exactly like an atom d- despite the fucking vast differences in scale of size. And one of the comments that my professor left me was, that's a very interesting insight. I think you should look into this guy by the name of Terrence McKenna. You would probably enjoy him. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he, he directed me to a very particular episode, which I'm going to talk about briefly today. I say briefly because this episode, dog, like, fuck. For those of you who are interested, uh, it's called What Science Forgot. That's the name of the episode on the Psychedelic Salon, the podcast, The, Psych- the Psychedelic Salon. Uh, it's episode 180, What Science Forgot on the Psychedelic Salon, okay? And uh, it's so dense, so dense. that still to this day, I'll listen. Like when I, like when I was listening to it and preparing this fucking uh, podcast, I was like, damn, dog, this shit. I'm still listening to this bitch 10 years later and realizing, fucking 13 years later, and realizing how much fucking I still am learning from it. Like it's that dense, you know what I mean? Um, this, this particular episode that I'm doing, I'm only going to do the first half of it. I have a whole ass other episode that I'm working on already on the second half alone, just that one episode. Right. But again, if you're interested, that's where I got the source material. What science forgot episode 180 of the psychedelic salon. Okay. And it was by fucking Terrence McKenna. And, um, he talks a little bit about this, right? So I guess by way of quick introduction, for those of you who don't know Terrence McKenna, right? He was this, he was an interesting dude, man. He was a, I, I think he was a very interesting dude, right? He was an ethnobotanist, right? And a psychonaut. It's the first time I ever heard the term psychonaut, okay? Someone that takes drugs to explore inner space, okay? But uh, he also was like an author who would like go around the country and lecture, right? About all kinds of shit, dog. But primarily, he would lecture on fucking psychedelics and fucking plant-based athe- entheogens, dog, okay? And how... They affected our everyday life still to this day, right? He would talk about how it affects everything from shamanic societies to, you know, modern language and fucking technology, dog. Everything, like all the ways that, you know, uh, psychedelics have influenced us. And um, he's very famous. I, I, you know, if, you, if you've, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of him, so I don't mean to like, you know, beat a dead horse, but just in case for the small, a major, uh, the small minority of us who haven't, right? Um... And one thing McKenna always fucking went hard against, dog, like your boy, right? Obviously, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Me standing on the shoulders of plenty of giants before me, Terrence McKenna, certainly one of them. He criticized the reductive materialist bias of mainstream science, dog. And he argued instead that what science had forgotten, he said he'd forgotten, that science had forgotten, hence the name of the episode, what science forgot, or had just completely ignored was the fucking... The important spiritual and metaphysical dimensions of reality. Reductive materialists hate this, bro. But unfortunately, the idea that there exists something outside of, you know, primary matter, they fucking hate this. Scientists hate this idea. Well, a lot of them, okay? There are spiritual scientists, I'm sure. Religious scientists, for sure, I know. But um, what Terrence McKenna is saying is that this is an important element, dog. You can't just discount the spiritual and metaphysical dimensions of reality. There is a reason why they have existed fucking across time and space. And that realistically, that it's basically a modern phenomenon, uh, is what he's going to argue, in our current society where the two are somehow fucking pitted against one another, right? And uh, what he tells us is that the scientific method, it's based on the assumption, again, of this mechanical, deterministic universe. And, you know, what happened is that it limited 
the ability to understand and explain certain aspects of reality, specifically consciousness, dog, but also the nature of time and more importantly, the origins of the universe. He has this really great point in the in the podcast that I was the the lecture that I was you know mentioning uh, the what science forgot, where he talks about how the biggest fucking the biggest miracle in science is the Big Bang because you're you're they start with the assumption that nothing comes from uh, that something comes from nothing, and then they just, he he tells us like science lo- loves to tell us that just give us this one fucking leap of faith right that nothing that something comes from nothing and we can explain the rest of the universe from there. And but what he's saying is like that's fucking ridiculous. Like you're starting on a flawed basis, and then you're building these complex theories on top of it. This is the nature of epistemology, right? You have a very shaky, uh, very shaky epistemic foundation. Like why the fuck should we give you a pass to explain how something comes from nothing? Like you're telling us with the Big Bang, right? But then you're gonna tell us that people who are religiously inclined are fucking nonsensical and irrational because they're asking you to believe in something that they can't prove materially. Like you see the contradiction here. That's the point that he's trying to make, right? And uh, the only way to resolve this schism, according to Terence McKenna, well, one of the ways, one of the most important ways that science forgot is through the use of psychedelics. Again, this notion of, you know, uh, of delineating the distinction between science and, you know, quote unquote, spirituality is a modern phenomenon. And that if you look into the past, you'll see how the, you know, science was basically nothing more than the, you know, than the, when, when, when you start to make certain practices, when you start to, you know, materialize certain practices in such a way where you, you formulate them and you continuously repeat them to, you know, you get your expected results. But in the past, you do all of that with the aid of psychedelic research, basically. And uh, he's arguing, this Terrence McKenna, is that we need to do the same, okay, so that we can access and explore dimensions, right, that the mainstream science just completely ignores. Again, going back to the previous episode of the podcast. Just because we can't necessarily directly experience these, you know, extra dimensions, if you will, the likes of which many of them are, you know, revealed to us through psychedelic use. For those of you who have, you know, enjoyed a little bit of psychedelics in your lifetime, would be able to attest to the, the, the very likes of which that science will immediately dismiss as being nothing more than a fucking chemical processes of the brain, right? Terrence McKenna wants nothing of that, dog. He's saying, no, there is fucking whole elements of reality that are, you know, completely ignored because of this fucking uh, 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 distinction between science and spirituality that the Western world currently has upheld. And more importantly, what more importantly happens with the psychedelic research is that it removes us, Terrence McKenna tells us, it removes us from our cultural biases, from our cultural norms. Just by virtue of being born, you know, our let me reiterate something I've said plenty of times in the podcast, but it bears repeating here because of, you know, it directly relates to this. Our ideology is shaped by our material forces. How you perceive reality is directly influenced by the time and space that you were born into. It's directly influenced by the culture you were born into, the gender roles you were born into, etc. And what McKenna is saying is that when we take heroic doses, as he referred to them, of psychedelics, it elevates us be above, it elevates us above this cultural programming and gives us a fucking God's eye view of what is really going on, which would in turn enable us to conduct more unbiased science, right? So in this particular sense, he's saying we got to take the psychedelics in order to remove ourselves, not just from our cultural norms, dog, but specifically for scientists from what we're told science is. You know, you go through the education process 
through the university process and they tell you this is what scientist is, what science is rather, anything else that doesn't fit this mode is not science, it's pseudoscience. But in that pseudoscience, of course, is shit like spirituality. And if that's the way that that's the ideological lens by which you're fucking, you know, interfacing with reality with, then of course it's going to influence the way you do science, even as a scientist who is allegedly this fucking non-objective observer. So what he's telling us is that person needs to take psychedelics in order to be lifted above that particular fucking molding to be able to see reality a little bit more clearly. So that's that's kind of the basic gist of his idea when it comes to psychedelics and science. He believes that the psychedelics, right, the psychedelics, they could help us achieve a more holistic and integrated understanding of reality and that they could in turn be used as a tool for both personal and spiritual growth. This whole view on psychedelics for Terence McKenna, it helped lay the foundation for a lot of his, you know, more prominent theories. Probably the more famous one, and it's because of Joe Rogan, honestly, is the Stone Dave theory, dog, right? So basically what happens is Terence McKenna tells us that somewhere along the mushroom-dotted plains of Africa, as he refers to it, at you know, you had these chimpanzees that started flipping fucking cow patties, basically, cow shit, right? And this is why he argues that, you know, the Muslims hold cows so sacredly, um, the Abanita muscaria mushroom, right? Uh, but what he says is that you have these fucking, these very, you know, uh, uh, these chimps, these very base, these prime low-level chimps, right? Well, low-level, but you know what I'm saying, right? Um, who come down, they come down from the trees and they start fucking looking for food, basically. They're, they're foraging along the forest floor and they, found, they find mushrooms, dog. And they start fucking eating mushrooms. And they start tripping off these fucking mushrooms, dog. And that on, t- on top of tripping off these mushrooms, that it started to open up their brains in a different way than every other animal that's ever existed, Right? Jaguars drink ayahuasca, so I don't know, okay? Uh, but the point is that he argues that the introduction of mushrooms into the fucking diets of these fucking chimps is what led to the development of the modern human brain. One of the reasons, right? There's a lot of contention about this theory in general. There's a lot of contention about how fucking humans became how we are today, so radically different from every other animal, right? But for him, it's the psilocybin mushrooms, Okay. By our primate, uh, by our primate ancestors, uh, it played a crucial role. He tells us in developing human intelligence and, more specifically, culture. Another one of his famous, uh, you know, theories that he advanced uh, is what he referred to as time and time wave theory. And basically, what he tells us is that time. Remember, he's like hugely fascinated with time. He thought that it was going to culminate at the year twenty twenty, at the end of the, at the end of history, would occur at the end at that twenty twenty, right? But it's not because he fucking just happened to stumble across some fucking randomly by chance, you know, this fucking mathematical formula led him to the year 2020. He had a mathematical formula, but it actually led him to the year like 2024 or something like that. But once he discovered the fucking the Maya calendar, he readjusted it to be 2022, which that right there, to be fair, should raise a lot of fucking red flags because in science, that's not the kind of shit you want. You don't want to just be able to mold your theory to fucking be able to take in as many, you know, competing ideas uh, that you know potentially challenge your theory. You want to you want to harness your theory in such a way where it is so fucking airtight that you can make a fucking you can you know make a claim that is so likely the likelihood of it succeeding is so fucking small that when it does succeed, it's like holy shit. There's nothing I can do to fucking argue against this theory because the likelihood of it succeeding was so fucking low, and this motherfucker nailed it with accuracy, right? And that's the exact opposite of what he's doing here. But whatever the case. Uh, what he refers to as time wave theory, basically, it postulates that, you know, time is not a linear progression, hence the importance of 
you know, history not working from the past and pushing the present into the future. He doesn't believe in that, right? He's got this time wave theory, which postulates again that time, it's not a linear progression. It's a fucking fractal wave form that moves through cycles of novelty and habit. Or basically, like Theo, dog, the fucking the generative and regenerative force of Theo. That's exactly what the fucking Nahuatl were telling us thousands of years ago. Okay? Anyways, it's not a lecture on the Nahuatl, right? I'm just going to keep mentioning particular parts of how it relates uh, throughout the episode. Uh, it's about Terrence McKenna. And what he believes, dog, is that there are certain time waves or specifically patterns in history that correspond to the end, the ebb and flow of novelty. And that we currently are approaching peak novelty, which again, or at the end of history, which he told us would be in 2022 or 2012 rather. Okay. Now, this leads to another one of his more prominent theories, which is the archaic revival. And what he's telling us is that at the state of this peak novelty, right, what's going to happen is the world's going to be in a state of crisis and that the solution to this crisis is going to be not looking forward anymore, but in a return to what he calls the archaic or a re-embracing of traditional spiritual shamanic practices. That's what's going to save us, right? And he believed that the modern world had lost touch with its spiritual roots and that the reconnection was the only thing that was going to be able to fucking, that's the only thing that was going to save humanity, right? It was necessary even for the survival of humanity, which brings us to his ideas on the hyperreal. So basically what happens with the hyperreal is he believes that the world, the modern world, it's become increasingly artificial and disconnected from reality and that it's leading to a state of hyperreality, which is, you know, that's a, that's a whole ass study in philosophy on its own. So I won't even bother getting too deeply into it. Okay. But the important part is that he feels as though people, us, were losing the ability to distinguish between the real and the simulations of reality and that this is dangerous in that it, you know, it, it's very, it causes a lot of cognitive dissonance in people. And most importantly, it, you know, causes us to have a, a less meaningful and less authentic existence, essentially, because we conflate what is truly real with what is hyper real. Social media is not real, dog. That's hyper reality. This, this right here, the loving embrace of you and your loved ones, that's fucking real. You know what I mean? The amazing fucking meal that you had, that's fucking real. The pictures of other people's fucking amazing meals. That's not real. You know what I mean? That's the hyper real. Which leads us to the cultural programming. Obviously, we're fucking being programmed by social media. And even though this motherfucker died in 2000, long before any social media platform had been fucking invented, he still nails it on the head by telling us that, you know, we're, we're imprisoned, essentially, in this fucking linear, reductive thinking that, you know, is cultivating and cultural programming like we're programmed by this linear cultural thinking and again the psychedelics is the only way to break it he's got this really famous quote where he tells us culture is not your friend dog culture is your enemy culture is this fucking tool that's been devised by this fucking linear reductive thinking to enforce the status quo so you know very deeply heideggerian shit there right anyways probably the most important part of all this just to you know circle it <laughs> just to you know refocus the conversation is the idea of novelty, Doug. And basically what novelty is, is like just complexity, okay? And what he's telling us, this uh, mechanic character, is that nature itself builds on complexity, right? That history, the universe, has a natural tendency to build on complexity, a process that he called complexification. So what he means is that 
you know, we the universe started after the Big Bang. We're going to assume that the Big Bang is correct, okay? And what he tells us is that it first started like in this fucking hot liquid plasma. And it was like that for billions of years, okay? But slowly through time that this hot liquid plasma starts to fucking evolve. And it from a fucking single cell to complex life that we see today, it continues to evolve. It continues to complexify. And one of the defining features about this is that every step in complexification happens far rapidly than the previous one. It happens so much more faster than the previous one. So that's the point that I was making about with the artificial intelligence where however long it took humans to create artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence will surpass that in a fucking day because of complexification, right? And this is what Terrence McKenna is telling us. It has a, the universe, life in general, has a tendency to build on complexity or novelty, right? And what he's going to say is that this process is driven by the intrinsic nature of the universe and that it's a fundamental aspect of reality, okay? Now, this is hugely important, dog. This is hugely important, okay? Because he's basically given uh, the universe an animated role in reality. So again, just like Theot, you know? Unlike Theot, however, his universe is very agentive. It is working towards something, okay? They are not so much. It's not, it's unagentive. It's just unfolding and, you know, it's just, it's doing its thing. Like it has no fucking agency at all whatsoever. It's just unfold. It's creating and recreating and destroying. You know, just, it just it is what it is. For McKenna, no. The universe has a very agentive process. And the process is complexification. It, it occurs over time. And every time it occurs, it leads to the emergence of new and more complex forms of organization and structure. Right? We don't have this podcast without rudimentary biology. It's, it's just it is what it is, right? And what he's going to say ultimately is that whatever it is that we're working to, we don't know what it is that we're working to or what we're working towards. But that shit is not possible without this right here. Another part that's similar in line with Theod is that he believes his universe that, that he's speaking of, it's inherently creative and that this creativity is expressed through the process of complexification. So again, that, that's Theod, dog, right? But I just, whatever the case, uh, he believes that this process is the engine of the universe, okay? And that it generates new forms of organization and structure. And not only in the physical world, dog, but also in consciousness, culture, and perhaps most importantly, technology as well, right? Now, you might be asking yourself at this point, okay, that's all fine and dandy. What the fuck does it have to do with everything you talked about at the beginning of the episode? And the answer is simple. Long before... My ancestral knowledge came through to save me and fucking from the pit of nihilistic despair. There was Terrence McKenna, dog. The nihilism was debunked with this fucking podcast, episode 180 of the Psychedelic Salon, What Science Forgot, okay? Why? Because all these views on the complexification of reality basically elevate humans to this very important role. He speaks on it, dog where he talks about how in the Western world we're reduced to nothingness. But what he's saying, and this is one billion percent in line with exactly what it is that the Nahuatl said, just thousands of years before him, okay, is that, no, no, humans are actually very important to the unfolding of reality, okay? So the Nahuatl, they'll say Teot, for him, he'll say the universe, okay? We're not just these bystanders watching shit unfold. Like, we know for a fact that what we're doing is actively fucking affecting reality, okay? Now, for the Nahuatl, like that's, it's not going to work towards some predetermined goal because there's no teleologies. But for McKenna, there is a teleology, 
And we are, in fact, helping the universe work toward this predetermined goal. He's got this really great quote, Doug. And if you listen to that episode, you'll hear it. He says that we are not fucking spectators to a drama we didn't write that we shouldn't expect to understand and that we cannot influence. Like, we're not spectators to that. He tells us that if, in fact, novelty is the name of the game, if complexification and preservation specifically of novelty is what the universe is striving for, then this puts humans at the front seat in his view, okay? We're players in the cosmic drama. We're in this, we're in this bitch. You know what I mean? We're fucking just as important as the sun is. We're just as fucking relevant as a fucking galaxy is. Like we are that important. And again, that's where you get the whole, the size and scaling. Like just because we're the size of humans and we, there's far larger things out there in existence doesn't mean that we're fucking inconsequential. Like we're fucking, we play an active role in this bitch, dog. That's fucking not watch shit right there. You know what I mean? Like you can't have the whole without the particular parts, dog. In fact, the fucking whole is made of the particular parts and vice versa, okay? Now watch it. Terrence McKenna, he tells us, yes, we are players in the cosmic drama. We are the pinnacle of complexification in the animal world, okay? Now, this alone is, again, it's a huge-ass insight, dog, this fucking how we differ from, you know, the animals. And this is the part that I told you that I'm working on a whole ass episode to focus specifically on, okay? But for now, I'm just going to summate it simply by saying that this is, again, exactly what the Nahuatl thought. We're not fucking nothingness, dog. We're not fucking just tiny specks of dust with no meaning and purpose. Every single fucking person on this planet has a role to play. Guess what? Yes, some of us are born to be fucking... I hate to fucking say it this way, dog, but Bill Clinton and company, they have a purpose too, right? They are the dynamic to there are they are our dynamic dynamic pair. I say our because I've I, I I fashion myself against people like that. You know what I mean? But the truth is, without people like that, I what is what what purpose do I have? Right? And this is a very reductive way of stating it. But I've talked about it before in previous episodes of the podcast. Perhaps the one that I can recall off the top of my head is the one called the Fifth Sun. If you want to get deeper into how dynamics work, right? And now what that. But the basic metaphor I can give you now for those of you who are, you know, just listening for the first time is jujitsu, right? Like I love jujitsu, dog, but I can't practice it alone. I need a partner, right? And it's not about trying to destroy my partner because if I destroy my partner, then I'll have no one to train jujitsu with. Night needs day, love needs hate, etc., and so on and so forth. And most importantly, neither one can ever conquer the other, right? So... Do with that information what you may in terms of how it comes to shit like pitting yourself against an enemy that you have fashioned, right? I digress, bringing it back to the fucking McKenna part. What he's basically telling us is what a teleology is, Doug, okay? Now, just to reiterate, a teleology in philosophy is a theory or belief in the existence or in the purpose or design in the in, in the natural world, okay? And the idea that natural phenomena have inherent processes or end goals. That's like the fancy philosophical definition. So the term teleology itself, it comes from the Greek word telos, which it just means the end, dog, or goal, okay? And uh, teleological theories, again, they, they presume to have some sort of direction or purpose and that we're moving towards that particular goal, right? And uh, in philosophy, this is often emerged, this is often associated rather with what is called final causality which holds that the end purpose of a thing is the cause of its existence or behavior. So 
Your teleology can be, all your actions and behaviors, assuming this is correct, can be explained by your ultimate teleology, which, you know, in the Western world, we all have one. Specifically, if you're a Christian, your life is already predetermined for you. This is the whole problem of free will, right? And thus, all of the actions that you're engaging in are easily explained by this teleology because they're all leading you to your final causality, right? This uh, contrasts in philosophy with what is known as the quote-unquote efficient causality, which basically it just tells us that the cause of a thing is its preceding conditions, okay? Uh, or the uh, uh, the actions of other things, meaning that you're kind of just like influenced by external forces only, okay? For Terence McKenna, this Western world is working towards what he what is referred to in philosophy for sure, uh, but he's going to use it as well as the eschaton, okay? Now, this is a huge one, Doc. This is a huge one, okay? And honestly, it's the crust of his <laughs> crux, <laughs> not the crust. It's the crux of his most prominent argument, okay? And again, I want to do this shit justice, yo. So rather than just, you know, speed through it, I'm going to do, again, a whole ass podcast on just this one idea, dog, the eschaton. But for now, I'll just leave with a quick summary, as well as the reason why I even wanted to drop this particular episode in the first place, which I already alluded to in the beginning, okay? Um, the term eschaton, it's, again, a philosophical one that uh, I, I guess... The best way to start is just simply by saying that it's, it's been used by various philosophers in different respects. But for McKenna specifically, it's going to refer to a final and ultimate state of human development or evolution. It's it's basically what complexification is working towards. OK, and his eschaton, it represents the quote unquote end of history or the final goal of human civilization and that it's going to be reached through a process, again, of both spiritual and here's the kicker, and technological evolution. So the merger, if you will. Now, he's not necessarily a, promo- a proponent of the transhumanist agenda, but there's a lot of there's a lot of parts when I was working through it, I was like, mm, it's kind of suspect, Doug, right? Now, in retrospect, at the time, I was bought it hook, hook, line, and sinker, right? But now, looking back, and I'm like, mm, it's kind of a weird idea, right? Whatever the case is, he's going to tell us is that the eschaton will be a state of transcendence in which humanity will have achieved the higher level of consciousness and understanding available in the universe. He believes that this eschaton is going to be achieved through the use of psychedelics specifically, which, again, he believed were necessary for our spiritual and technological evolution. He also believed that this eschaton is going to be reached by a process of quote-unquote hyperdimensional evolution a process of the unification of humanity and the integration of technology and consciousness. So again, uh, he never specifically explicitly stated a transhumanist agenda, but when you read shit like that, you're like, that's kind of suspect, dog, right? However, however, even me saying this, he's going to completely debunk. And part of that was actually a very liberating thing for me, dog, the way he debunks it. Because... Honestly, I was like, you think I'm fucking conspiratorial now, bro? When I was younger, holy fuck, dude, I was deep in the underground. You know what I mean? And honestly, Terrence McKenna fucking just helped end all of that for a very long time. It wasn't, again, until I was like 30 where the fucking quote unquote conspiratorial shit re-entered into my life, dog, because the whole Alex Jones shit with social media where he got deplatformed, I was like, that's kind of suspect. You know what I mean? But um, honestly, Terrence McKenna put 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 to rest. Sorry, my words aren't working. Surprise, surprise. 
uh, McKenna put to rest a lot of my conspiratorial thinking with this very insight that I'm going to share here shortly, right? So when I sit here and I say, that's kind of suspect, right? He's going to turn around and say, it's only suspect if you think you know that if you think someone is in control of what's going on. you It's only suspect if you think humans can fucking control something as large as the universe. Yes, we are important, but the universe is fucking acting through us, not the other way around, right? Maybe we can do shit to fucking influence its direction, but ultimately the universe is going to do through us what it is that we want to do, what it is that rather it wants to do. And to think that any one particular group of people, people, okay, can control that, like, that's very optimistic. He says, if you think they can get a hold of the beast, like, good luck, right? (laughs) Um, And yeah, I guess this is the point that brings us back full circle to where we left off last week. And that's artificial intelligence, dog. Like, it's very easy to look down negatively on artificial intelligence and think about it in terms of how people are creating it in order to fucking, you know, to use it for nefarious purposes among other people. Now, I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, but what I am saying is that it's very limited thinking in accordance with McKennian idea in the sense that, yes, maybe humans are the driving force behind the technological force, but maybe it's the universe that's creating technology itself and that we are just the fucking, the, 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 the way in which it's doing so. That's the complexification. So the same way that all of, you know, life as it is right now emerged from a single cell organism is the exact same way that a fucking even more complex existence is going to, you know, be uh, the only way that it's going to exist is on this existence that we are currently living through right now, which we are fundamentally a part of. You know what I'm saying? And to think that we can somehow alter that teleology that's very not just we you and me but just like a group of people whether it be the reptilians whether it be the illuminati whatever the fucking imf it doesn't matter to think they are in control of that it's it doesn't it's it's just too grand of a leap of faith according to uh, mckenna now in the previous episode uh i again i mentioned the question of whether this whole technological fucking thrust that we find ourselves in was in fact a matter of teleologies or not And then I further commented again, as I mentioned in the beginning, of the trajectory in which it is that we're being pushed. Again, both of those insights were fucking directly influenced by this particular talk by Terrence McKenna, right? Now, I'm going to get deeper into this as the time progresses, okay? But for now, for now, the most important part is to just circle all the way back to how I started this bitch, dog. And that is the question of meaning. As I stated at the very beginning... I was in a really bad spot, dog. I really was, okay? <laughs> in fact, like now that I think back on it, like I'm just sitting here thinking back on it, I'm like, damn, that shit, it was tough, but it was fucking worth it, dog. Like where I am today, I wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for that. And fuck, it sucked when I was going through it, dog. But now I'm thankful for it because I get to, you know, it not only influences the way that I interact with reality, but I get to share it with you as well, okay? Anyways, what he's telling us, McKenna, is simply is that, you know, the Western reductive scientific world, it's purposely leaving out the possibility of a teleology just to fit its own narrative. It's trying to push an agenda, and they're purposely leaving out the possibility of a teleology in order to do so. Why they are doing so? Who the fuck knows, dog? I don't know, okay? But that's not the topic for today, right? We all have our ideas, we all have our suppositions, but we truly don't know. We can just fucking speculate, right? But that's a different podcast. The topic for today is what happens when we fall for that, which of course is nihilism, and why believing in the idea 
that we're not insignificant specks of dust, right? Like we're told we are, seems more in line with what appears to be true to the most of us, dog. And that is that we are, it seems as though, in fact, working towards some predetermined goal. And that every single person on this fucking planet, despite what we are told, is in fact a fucking, you know, an important piece in this grand fucking unfolding for whatever reason. Okay. Now, what that something is and why, again, we cannot see, he tells us. But it's clear that we're moving towards it. And that even though we can't control it, the hope lies in knowing that not only can we not control it, but no one else can either, right? And that where we're going, it might not even be so bad after all, dog, right? This again, it, it was like just perfect. It was like perfect synchronicity, dog. Uh, another, this is before I, you know, um, had already, you know, been introduced to Terrence McKenna. But I read that I was, you know, part of the existential crisis, of course. You've had one before, you know a deal is pondering our own fucking mortality, right? And obviously at this time, I was struggling with meaning and purpose in general, but also with the fucking fear of death, dog. And um, I remember reading this great parable that brought me a lot of ease at the time, right? And it was the parable of the dragonfly. And basically what happens is this dragonfly, you know, they start off as, as you know, larva and water. And uh, it's un- it starts to undergo this fucking transition. And the dragonfly itself is terrified because it knows something is wrong, but it doesn't know what, okay? Well, it thinks it's wrong, but, you know, you'll see here shortly. The point is the dragonfly is like, oh shit, what the fuck is going on? And then the fucking, from one day to the next, the dragon, the, the little larva, it escapes the water and becomes this fucking beautiful dragonfly, right? And then meanwhile, all his little homie larva in the water, they get sad because now the only person that they had known, the person that they had known, the little larva that they had known is no longer among them. So they mourn it. And they've, you know, they mourn it in the sense that it's dead. And they say, we miss our larva friend and like, we can't believe this happened to him, et cetera, right? But meanwhile, what they don't know, what the little larva that was going through at the time didn't know is that it was, it, what, what was coming was not something fucking terrible. It was not something to be afraid of. It was not some fucking grand destruction. It was a, a destruction and it was a death in, in a way, but realistically what it was, was a rebirth to a complete a complete different existence, a more beautiful existence, if you will, even. It went from being a larva in water to a beautiful fluorescent dragonfly, right? And, you know, when I was reading this, when I was listening to his lecture, I was like, oh shit, that's that's the same fucking story here, dog. In the sense that, yeah, on an individual level, again, scaling it down to size, on the individual level, like I was having a crisis of meaning and purpose, right? The fear of death and all that kind of shit. But also on a grand level, like all of humanity, we're so afraid of what the fuck is going to happen, we're so afraid of what it is that we're working towards. And for all we know, it may very well be, in both instances, a grand, beautiful, liberating fucking future. We don't know. No one knows, okay? No one, furthermore, is in control of it. There is no one person or entity group that is fucking directing us towards this. Like, we don't know what we're driving towards, right? We know we're going there, but, you know, there's no need to be afraid of it. You just gotta sit back and let the good times roll, homie, right? And... When we add psychedelics to the mix, this feeling is only further galvanized, right? For those of y'all, again, who have fucking done, again, you're not going to find this in scientific, well, maybe you might find this in scientific literature, right? But even if it's not, like, how much testimony is necessary for stories to no longer become anecdotal, right? Like, how many times, how many people got to repeat the same story in order for the fucking Western scientists to be like, okay, maybe there's more to this. We should look into this, right? But uh, what I'm saying is like, 
if you've not done psychedelics, for those of us who have, right, or for those of us who have spoken to people who have, you'll know that a common, you know, a common theme is, you know, despite after for at least any initial potential horror that might exist for some, right, when you first take psychedelics, it could be pretty fucking horrifying, especially if you're unfamiliar with what you're doing and you're not taking it in the right set and setting, right, with people who know what the fuck is going on. It could be pretty fucking horrifying at first, right? So after that initial first wave, <laughs> okay, well, for some people, it never fades away, right? I know a motherfucker fried his marbles off fucking LSD, dog, just completely gone, right? Not gone in the sense of like comatose, but just he was a cholo, a gangbanging cholo, dog. It was one of my uncle's friends. He was a gangbanging cholo, and he took some fucking acid, and he turned into like this fucking Jesus hippie, dog. It was weird, right? Anyways, the whole point of that is like, yeah, some people don't come back from that horrifying trip, right? But those of us that do, we have the horrifying trip in the beginning. And then after that, we start to settle in a little bit to the more peaceful element, dog. The overall feeling of love and hope that psychedelics offer some people, right? And that's ultimately what this mechanic character is getting to, dog. He's trying to tell us, like, stop trying to control everything, yo. Including, including our inevitable demise. Because no one can fucking, con for sure, no one can control anything. We're all just... We're all living through the fucking process of complexification. The universe is fucking doing its thing and we're just going along for the ride. Like, yes, we can, we play a, a role in this, but it's not because through individual people, it's through the universe acting through us. Very Hegelian in nature. You know what I'm saying? The central point being is though, like, don't be afraid, homie. It's just a ride, right? The famous Bill Hicks bit. Whatever it is that we're living in, whatever the fuck this reality is, okay? Whatever this experience is, it's immensely greater, immensely greater than any one human or institution, okay? And it is going to do as it does. So the best that we can do is just fucking enjoy the ride. Yes, it can fucking potentially be terrifying in some instances. He tells us, McKenna, that history is a runaway freight train on a dark and stormy night with the rear view mirror. And the only good thing about this, driving with the rear view mirror, is that it's better than driving with no mirror at all, homie, right? And yeah, I guess that's about as good a time as any to wrap this bitch up. My little introduction by way of my little podcast to the great thinker, Terrence McKenna. Just quickly to summarize the whole point of it all, not only in line with the fucking artificial intelligence shit, but I wanted to give a little backdrop to why I would say shit like the history, the present is being pulled into the future, right? Um, but also just a little bit more insight into just this whole hood philosophy shit, dog, and how deeply influenced it was, admittedly, by Terrence McKenna, right? So, um, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed it. And if not, try better next time, dog. Until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you then. Peace. <laughs>